Welcome to this week's Point Community Church Sunday Sermon. If you'd like to learn more about the Point Community Church, please visit our website at tpcc.org.au. Well, George Mueller was a 19th century pastor in England, and he's famous for five five large orphanages that he started up. Uh, When he began them in 1834, there was only accommodations for 3,600 orphans throughout all of England. And throughout the course of his life, uh, Mueller's five orphanages took care of 10,000 orphans. Extraordinary. Uh, But more than that, He inspired others, and and the collective work 50 years after uh, Mueller started his orphanage work, 100,000 orphans were looked after throughout England. Isn't that amazing? It's extraordinary. He, He is a bit of hero of faith, and if you know him, he's also a hero of the Christian faith for his praying life. Mueller refused to ask anybody for money for that large work. He would only ask God. He wouldn't ask any human being. And there were times when they ran out of money. Hundreds of children were about to starve. And still, Mueller would only pray. And the next thing you know, money would, somebody would knock on the door, money would turn up, money would be delivered. He's, he's, a, he's a hero of the Christian faith for his prayer life. But, but here's what some of us don't know about Mueller. The fuel for Mueller's praying life was the Word of God. I'm going to read three paragraphs from Mueller's autobiography. I saw more clearly than ever that the first great and primary business to which I ought to attend every day was to have my soul happy in the Lord. The first thing to be concerned about was not how much I might serve the Lord, how I might glorify the Lord, but how I might get my soul into a happy state and how my inner man might be nourished. Before this time, my practice had been at least for 10 years previously as a habitual thing to give myself to prayer after having having dressed in the morning. Now I saw that the most important thing I had to do was to give myself to the reading of the Word of God and to meditation on it, and thus my heart might be comforted, encouraged, warned, reproved, instructed, and that thus, while meditating, my heart might be brought into communion with the Lord. I began, therefore, to meditate on the New Testament from the beginning early in the morning. The first thing I did, after having asked in a few words the Lord's blessing upon his precious word, was to begin to meditate on the word of God, searching, as it were, into every verse to get blessing out of it, not for the sake of the public ministry of the word, not for the sake of preaching on what I had meditated upon, but for the sake of obtaining food for my soul. Brothers and sisters, listen in very carefully. Our souls ache for the rich, delicious, life-giving Word of God. We, We are designed for the Word of God. And the most glorious thing of all is that God doesn't simply want to nourish us. 
When it comes to our souls, God doesn't simply give spiritual vitamins, minerals, and protein. God provides delicious, tasty, lavish meals. Actually, strike that. Buffets. All you can eat. Brother, sister, the first great and primary business to which we ought to attend every day is to make our souls happy in the Lord. Not because Mueller tells us, but because God does. Psalm 19 that we're looking at this morning, we've already heard it, read in our kids' spot and Lillian read it. Uh, It's a majestic psalm where God calls his children to find their happiness in his glory. We're designed right down to our very DNA to find our happiness in the glory of God and we find the glory of God in the word of God. And so here's how we're going to work through Psalm 19 this morning. Firstly, we're going to look at the wordless word. That makes sense, doesn't it? Then we're going to look at the reviving word and then thirdly, the redeeming word. And so, wordless word, reviving word, redeeming word. Have you got your Bible open? Psalm 19, look at verse 1 and actually just before verse 1, it begins with, to the choir master, a psalm of David. So, King David wrote this psalm. That's the assumption we have here. And then verse 1, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaim his handiwork. The purpose of this psalm is clear, isn't it? It is the glory of God. The glory of God. Glory. Glory, what a huge word. One of the major assumptions of the entire Bible is that God's glory is at the heart of the entire universe. Uh, Which is why humans, as humans, we're we're always hunting for glory, aren't we? Uh, Whether it's the the great come-from-behind win, glory. Uh, The most captivating sunset, glory. Uh, The most sumptuous meal you've ever eaten, glory. Uh, The most romantic story, You've ever read, okay, watched, not many readers these days, glory. We are by nature glory hunters because we are made for unimaginable glory, the glory of God. Rhetorical question, what happens to you, inside you, when you do watch your team pull off that amazing come from behind wind? What happens to you, in you, when your eyes take in that captivating sunset? What happens when those flavours of explosion happen inside your mouth when you're eating your favourite meal? What happens to you, in you, when, when you read the most romantic story ever? It's almost impossible to describe, isn't it? But we heap up words, we, we do, that's good. We use words like glorious and awesome and beautiful and, and amazing. And what's going on in us? What's our inner state? It, 
It's high. It's elevated. It's blessed. Happy. Experiencing glory, it engages our mind and our body. Here's the point. The entire universe has been created to experience the glory of God. The heavens declare the glory of God. The reason we are glory hunters is that built into our very DNA is a hunger for the glory of God. The reason, that's the reason we're glory hunters. It's into our DNA. That's why our first great and primary business to which we must give ourselves every day is to find ourselves happy in the Lord. And did you notice that when I asked you what, what goes on within you, what happens to you when you experience glory, it, it's just it's hard to describe, isn't it? It's hard to define. That's because glory is an experience, not just a calculation. Glory is an experience, not just a calculation. Which is where Psalm 19 takes us next. Let's read from verse 1 again. The heavens declare the glory of God and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. And then verse 2, day to day pours out speech and night to night reveals knowledge. Verse 3, there is no speech nor are there words. And then the ESV and, and the new translation of the NIV will have whose voice is not heard, I suspect, it is meant to be, their voice is not heard. And then verse 4 comes back to, their voice goes out through all the earth and their words to the end of the world. I think there is a poetic contradiction going on here. God is pouring out his speech through his creation, but there is no voice that is heard from it. It is a wordless word, a speechless speech, a, a voiceless voice. That There is something poetic here that we're captured up into. It, it Sounds contradictory, but we know it makes sense. You see, all the master chef has to do is put her master meal on the table in front of you and not say a single word, and yet you can see and taste glory. The glory of God is not calculated simply through words. There's an experience. There's an in-the-moment experience. A couple of weeks ago, I had the joy of speaking to a young man who was inquiring about God. Uh, he, was, he was respectful. Uh, he was very thoughtful. And the conversation began with uh, a lot of questions around science versus faith. Now, he was well-informed of the Christian faith uh, and he was particularly resistant because of the resurrection of Jesus. Really, like, how can you guys believe someone rose from the dead? And at, so at first, I thought the best thing to do was put some evidences for Jesus' resurrection on the table. And I, and I could see it, it wasn't working. It wasn't clicking for him. And remember, this, 
this man, he was respectful. He wasn't trying to win an argument. He wasn't trying to mock my faith. But eventually I realized he needed something I couldn't provide. But I could point him to it. He needed to taste and see the glory of God. And so, actually, the taste and see the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Now, there's a whole other sermon right there. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 1 to 6. How does God take spiritually dead people to alive by the power of seeing the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ? One of my favorite passages in the whole Bible. So we're not going to do a sermon there. But what this young man needed was to see Taste, see the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. So I pointed him to Mark's gospel. And I said, why don't you read through Mark's gospel and just ask God to reveal himself to you. Pray for this young man. You don't need to know his name, but pray that God is drawing him in to the kingdom. The glory of God. An experience, not just a calculation. The heavens declare the glory of God. Like, that's the first four verses. And then verses five and six, I wish we had more time to run through them. But what a beautiful image of God's glory, the, the sun marching through the heavens like a bridegroom happily coming out of his tent. The glory of God racing through the universe like a strong athletic champion. What a powerful image. God is passionate. He is excited. He is hungry to display his glory throughout the universe. Make sure you read this psalm at home. That's the first six verses of Psalm 19. And so far, we have not proved that we are to hunt for happiness in our daily Bible readings. So far, what we might be left thinking is all we have to do is walk outside and and look at God's creation. Day or night, we'll, we'll see the glory of God. Read from verse 7 with me now. Here's where we uh, move from wordless word to reviving word. Psalm 19, verse 7. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. Again, we we don't have time to look at all the verses in detail. And so we're just going to focus on the first half of verse 7. Do you see that? The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The reason we need the Bible in order to make our soul happy in the Lord is because our soul needs reviving. Not reviving as in, I forgot to water the plants for a couple of days, they're looking a little droopy, I'll add some water and they'll pick up. Reviving as in dead and need to be made alive. The Bible tells us that humans are all conceived spiritually dead. Earlier I said that one of the major assumptions of the entire Bible is that the glory of God sits at the uh, heart of the entire universe. 
Another major assumption that runs through the whole Bible is that left to our own devices, we will not worship God. Left to our own devices, we'll worship the sun, the moon, our own ingenuity, an influencer, our favorite sport, food, sex, alcohol, the praise that we get from other people. There's just so many things within creation that we'll choose to worship. And so make sure you don't miss what's going on between verses 1 to 6 and 7 to 9. God does 100% display his glory throughout creation. There is a glory in creation that should draw our lives into praise and worship of him. The problem is not in God's handiwork. The problem's in us. We will either worship something in creation or we'll look at creation and go, man, this is messed up. And so either the problem's with God or there is no God. The problem's not in God's handiwork. The problem is in us. Our soul needs revival. And God provides that revival through his law, verse 7, through his testimony, verse 7, through his precepts, verse 8, through his commandment, verse 8, through his rules, verse 9. That is, because of our sin, our soul is dead. And so God must provide his reviving word. And he does. And so get this, even though we're at fault, God, God remains patient, kind, merciful. God speaks. God gives a clear word. We need God's perfect law. And and just before we move on from God's reviving word... To God's redeeming word. I just want to set up the third point, God's redeeming word, by reading verse 10 and 11 with you. Have a think about those words, law, testimony, precepts, commandment, rules. And then look at verse 10. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned. In keeping them, there is great reward. What is the teenager's response to seeing the sign, wet cement, don't touch? Yeah, it's, the, it's the handprint, the footprint, the tag. To be honest, it would probably be my response as well. But let's not make sure I'm just picking on teenagers. Us adults, what's our response when we see the mobile speed camera set up on Lake Road? slow down from 65 to 50 and mutter revenue raiser. We don't like rules. We don't like to obey rules. Yet, just another reminder that our souls need reviving. We're spiritually dead. You see, the glory of God, the glory of God... It's pure, perfect, glorious, 
life-giving. Therefore, the Christian takes in God's rules as sweet honey. The Christian looks at God's rules and goes, Wow, more to be desired than fine gold. But if you're like me right now, you're asking, But Steve, how? How do we go from resisting God's rules to God? I desire every word that comes out of your mouth. And here's where we turn from to, to God's redeeming word. Read from verse 12 with me. Who can discern his errors? Isn't that refreshing? David's saying, I don't even know all my sins. <laughs> I, I, if you asked me to list them all, I would fail that exam. I don't even know how often I sin. Who can discern his errors? Declare me innocent from hidden faults. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression, that the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Again, I see a contradiction in these couple of verses. The psalmist admit, he's not even able to admit to count all his sins. He doesn't even know them. He, he deceives himself. And then he even admits to presumptuous sins. A presumptuous sin, it's a willing sin. God, I actually know you say don't do this, but I'm going to do it anyway. How can he go from that to saying, verses 13, halfway through there, then I shall be blameless, and innocent of great transgression, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. Sounds like a contradiction. On the one hand, he was so sinful he can't even keep track and he willfully sins. And on the other hand, he's like, let me be blameless. Let the meditation of my heart be acceptable to you, Lord. How? It's the very last word of Psalm 19. You looking at it? Redeemer. Now, redeemer is a word we don't use a whole lot, but we do use the word redeem, don't we? If you collect the right Macca tokens, you can redeem them for a prize. If you've got a gift card for Christmas, you, you can redeem it for a gift of your choosing. In the ancient world, your redeemer is someone who redeemed you out of slavery. Your Redeemer paid the cost. You get the gift of freedom. David knew that he was a sinner and he needed to be redeemed. And David knew God as his Redeemer. Brother, sister, do you know God as your redeemer or are you still trying to redeem yourself is is this uh, yeah some good morals and, and some good advice or is this the place where you come to to find Jesus your redeemer
Listen, this is full of commands, of rules, of statutes, of precepts, of laws. And so, so how is it that we come here to make our soul happy? How is it that we sing with David, your rules are more to be desired than fine gold. Your rules are sweeter than honey. Simple. Simple. We, um, we desire God's rules because Jesus desired God's rules so much, he died for us. Listen to Galatians. Nope, yep, it is. Galatians chapter 3, verse 13. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse. Listen, listen, listen in very carefully. The Bible is not about you and what you have to do. The Bible's about Jesus and what he's done. Jesus sacrificed his life to redeem you, to purchase you, to buy you. Oh, dear Christian. Every single word in this book is more precious than fine gold and sweeter than honey. This book is full of books, isn't it? It's full of chapters. It's, it's full of paragraphs. It's full of sentences. It's full of words. Every single one of which tells the story of God's precious Son, our Redeemer. And once we see Jesus as our Redeemer, oh, this becomes precious to us. But if you haven't seen that, this is pretty dull, isn't it? I mean, at best, it's, it's some good morals and, and some good advice, which is always only going to lead you to pride or despair. But once our eyes are open. To Jesus the Redeemer. Oh man. This is, this is a precious, cool, beautiful oasis in a, in a dry and weary land. Do you want to pray like George Mueller? Feast like George Mueller. Have a listen to this last quote from George. I believe that the one chief reason that I've been kept in happy, useful service is that I have been a lover of Holy Scripture. It has been my habit to read the Bible through every year in a prayerful spirit, to apply it to my heart and practice what I find there. I have been for 69 years a happy man. Happy, happy, happy. Oh, more precious, more to be desired than fine gold, sweeter than honey. Amen? Man, let's pray.
Dan, is there any questions? No, okay. I'm going to pray and then the band's going to lead us in song. Oh. Glory, glory, glory. You are worthy of all praise, honor, and glory. Father, would you forgive us for when we uh, get distracted with lesser glories? When we forget to praise you and thank you for all your gifts, when we enjoy your gifts and and just completely forget about you, or when we enjoy your gifts wrongly, would you forgive us? And Holy Spirit, would you come right now and and fill us with, with a great vision of the glory of the great God so that we would do everything to glorify him and enjoy him forever. We pray this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Thanks for listening. Tune in next week for our latest sermon, or better yet, join us live at 9.30 or 5 p.m. Sunday. You can find all the details on our website at tpcc.org.au.